You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Dilraj Singh. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and the Huron-Wendat. Also, just some reminders, if you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at Once again, that's podcast at Our guest today is Simrit Kaur. Simrit Kaur is a graphic designer from Brampton, Ontario. She pursued her Bachelor of Design specializing in graphic design at OCAD University. Simrit Kaur now works as an in-house graphic and motion designer and also freelances under the name Eskar Design. Realizing the power of design and branding in today's day and age, she began exploring ways to create a positive impact in the world through her design projects, whether they be professional projects, passion projects, or seva projects. Outside of work, Samrit Kaur is a foodie, enjoys hiking, and listening to Kirtan. So here's Samrit Kaur. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us here today. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. No problem. I'm glad to have you. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I was born in Rexdale, raised in Brampton, like every other Brampton kid. Um, and ever since I was a kid, I guess I always had like a pull towards the arts, um, whether it was like language arts, poetry, Gitan, mm-hmm. crafts, um, digital arts. And like along with that, I always had a pull with like the social sciences and so history geography sociology that kind of stuff um and then when i was in high school i started getting involved in different sikhi organizations and one of um my main savers for all these organizations was to design it was like we need a poster for this event or a poster for that event or like we go to the event record videos and then we edit the videos after Mm -hmm. um so it was always very like like arts oriented um so then at that point, I knew that like um, I enjoyed doing this. Um, so then I, I ended up pursuing my career in graphic design. Um, I, I foresaw myself doing it for a living. I had fun doing it. So I was like, why not? Um, mm. So the first year, I actually went to York for digital media, thinking it was um, a course that was like, really similar to graph graphic design mm-hmm. when i was in at york university i didn't like my program at all it was very different from graphic design <laughs> yeah. and then i ended up transferring over to ocad in second year um nice. and then in my fifth year at, at, at ocad i did a thesis project um and now i'm freelancing and working as an in-house designer um outside of work i am a big time foodie i love making food um i love eating the food too and (laughs) (laughs) um and i yeah uh, the kirtan is my biggest pull towards sticky kirtan is life and love jam sessions love attending kirtans um and then enjoy i enjoy nature like just being outdoors um hiking like 
listening to water things like that that's awesome yeah. <laughs> i didn't know that you were a transfer student from york yeah um was that a hard decision to make did it feel weird going again you're pretty young when you're in your first and then going into second right. year so now having to make new friends enter a new from north york to downtown toronto yeah um yeah so a couple of things with that so one was um you feel kind of like oh like i already spent money on my first year yeah. um i've already invested my time and money but yeah like what like you said we're young at that point mm-hmm. um you rather change your career then it's never too late to change your career yeah. but realizing if you realize in your first year that like hey i actually don't like this um if you don't like it for the first year chances are you're probably not going to want to do it for the rest of your life mm-hmm. um so it's better to kind of change your path at that point rather than kind of pulling through just because you're, you feel obligated to yeah um so it was a bit of a tricky decision but it was this one class i had <laughs> it was like a discrete math class and i had no clue what was going on it was this math class right. and i've never seen a number in that class nice um <laughs> and at that point i was like no there's no way i can do this for a living mm-hmm. um and at that point i was like okay i'm just gonna i talked to my family i was like i, I don't enjoy this um so I applied for ocad um had my interview uh did my portfolio presentation and things like that and once i got in then then i decided that yeah like this is like good <laughs> steps yeah. i was saying like yeah it's all good and then nice. um sangat wise so i actually went to york since i was 13 years old i mm-hmm. used to attend all their ssa programs yeah. um just cuz i had like family friends that were involved in the ssa older sangat friends mm-hmm. and then um so i felt really comfortable at york also yeah. because you're always around brown people right like that's fair yeah, <laughs> went, no, that's true. went to school in brampton so that kind of stuff like thinking about oh like i'm in, like i tired the star right um i look different than other people that never really crossed my head like brain my mind mm-hmm. until i went to ocad okay. um that was the first time i was not with like only brown people yeah. right that was the first time where i was like I'm seeing so many different types of people around me. Yeah. Um and I really have to like kind of zoom out and be like, "Hey, like like uh, make sure I don't like slip, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um you're in a really different environment." Yeah. Um but then eventually like um our SSAs in Toronto, so Okad University Ryerson and um U- University of Toronto, we combined our SSAs and we were able to form a Sangat group there, so that nice. really kept things together. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I know when we spoke earlier you mentioned that you had something else in mind uh in terms of career development before graphic design. Yeah. So what was that interest and then why did you decide to go with graphic design instead? Yeah, so um like I mentioned earlier like the social sciences always like drew my attention. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I wanted to do sociology. Um I just loved like studying people and nice. behaviors and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um and just looking at everything as like a whole. Um so I wanted to do sociology and eventually do a PhD PhD just like focusing on prison systems um around the world like different types of prison systems how rehab works um how you can actually like change people mm-hmm. in a positive way and then <clears throat> once we were driving by like there's like a correctional facility on 
like McLaughlin. Okay. And we were driving by, and I told my mom, I was like, whoa, isn't that so cool? That's like a medium security prison in Ontario, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, jump cut, get back. And she got so scared. She's like, why do you find that prison cool? And I was like, um, oh, shoot. And then I was like, yeah, no. I don't know how I would tell her that I want to study prison systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, no, like, we got to rethink this. And then um, I always had like a, like a, a passion for graphic design for mm-hmm. like any type of design the arts yep. um and that's when i was like no like this is i can foresee myself doing this long term mm-hmm. um for a living yep. uh, and also like oh that's a hobby like that's a good thing about graphic design right like you can do it nine to five you can do, do it outside of nine to five yep. um you can do a lot of things with it um so yeah started with just making posters for sikhi events mm-hmm. um turned into like but also when like es syf um w- 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 was uh when when we started syf like yep. there was a lot of promo needed then mm-hmm. um yeah i think that was where i was kind of like i figured out that yeah this is what i wanted to do yeah. um yeah so that's where we went from sociology to graphic design <laughs> did you ever in between that decision try working in either field I know graphic design you were technically already doing as yeah. part of SYF. Yeah. But did you explore the sociology aspect before making that decision? No, I never worked in that field. Mm. Um, I did take a lot of courses while I was at York, like yeah. even outside of my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it at that point as well. But at the end of the day, I was kind of like, with graphic design, you can still explore other avenues. Yeah. Um, outside like outside of design right mm-hmm. if you're designing you're most likely designing for a topic that's not related to design yep um Interesting. so that was kind of it was kind of like a win-win for me there mm-hmm. um so I was, I was okay with not trying it out <laughs> nice yeah so you mentioned that there is a lot more to graphic design than just designing for someone like me it just means photoshop and making posters because that's what i've seen yeah. primarily with your seva with es yeah um, but again, like you mentioned, it's much more than that. So what does being a graphic designer now working as one actually yeah. entail? Um, yeah. So every designer, I feel like they have their own outlook um, okay. about what they want to see in their design. Mm-hmm. Like a successful design. So design is very subjective. You don't have like guidelines. Like this is what makes a great design because mm-hmm. every person has their own vision of what a successful design is. Yeah. Right. Um, like when we were in school, you would show one piece of like let's say you have an editorial piece like a book you show it to one professor they'll be like wow this is amazing you'll show it to another professor and they'll be like no you need work on this right um Mm. everyone has their own perception of a successful design yeah um and over time like as a designer you kind of uh figure out what you want um in your successful like what Mm -hmm. your realm of successful design is okay um so it's not, yeah, it's not about only making things look pretty. Yeah. Um, overall design, like, it has a really long process, right? You mm-hmm. start off with, like, analyzing a lot of different things. You analyze what's around you you to, so that you can kind of figure out what already exists mm-hmm. so that you can spark new trends and try to create things that don't exist, right? Yeah, um, interesting. So that, that requires a lot of research. Um, a lot of, like, during design school... We learn a lot about the psychology of design, mm-hmm. um, how one font, uh, one typeface is 
um, perceived versus another. Yeah. Um, color psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, even things like negative space, shapes, yep. lines. Like it sounds so simple, but that like anything that you see that is designed, mm-hmm. it uses shapes, lines, colors. That's true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, like you're wearing Adidas right now. It's three stripes, three lines, mm-hmm. but it's a brand, right? Yeah. It's 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 yeah. representing a lot more than just um three lines is mm-hmm. representing speed and things like that right mm. um so yeah like um and then studying how our target audiences are going to perceive that design mm-hmm. um and then thinking about what environment that design is going to live in yep. right so if i'm uh designing for a gallery that would be a lot different than if i'm designing something to, to be published online mm-hmm. that would be different than like um, a PowerPoint presentation, right? Yeah. Like, so the mediums of design. Um, and then also the material is a huge thing. Like, if you see, um, like, in a piece of editorial, a book printed on, like, a linen mm-hmm. hard hardcover yep. versus, like, um, like a matte hardcover, right? Those yeah. things, the, the feeling that you get when you um, use those yeah. is very different. It is. Right? Yeah. Um, Interesting. So, like, a lot a lot goes on in the process before you actually reach the end product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so between when you start um, making like a plan, right? Making iterations of um, design of whatever you're trying to make to the end deliverable, there's a lot of back and forth, mm-hmm. right? Um, so let's say I'm uh, I'm creating a poster. I'll give you an example. So we had a project where we had to create a poster for MoMA, which is a, um, a gallery, a okay. museum in New York, a really big arts museum in Got New it. York. Um, and each student had to make four different versions of it. Mm-hmm. And we presented them in class. So we had four different versions, like different posters. Yep. And then the following week, we were required to like reiterate all those ideas. So mm-hmm. then we came back with like four more ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like the possibilities are endless. Like the yeah. combinations of colors fonts um uh negative space the mm-hmm. actual visuals all of that is like endless you can like you can have so many different combinations and because yeah. of that like you're never really done designing you mm-hmm. would you just have to like kind of make that line yourself and be like okay this is at this point i'm satisfied with it yeah. it gets the message through it's strong and like mm. uh, that's can kind of when you can be like okay i'm gonna stop now yeah <laughs> otherwise you can keep going and going right yeah um so, yeah, like usually the desi- design that you see is not the first idea or the first design that's created. It can be okay. like sometimes you have those like fluke moments where the first one is the one that yeah. that like hits the spot. <laughs> nice. um, but depending on the project, most likely it's the 20th or the 100th like iteration of the initial idea. Hmm. Um, OK. And so, um, yeah, a huge chunk of that process is experimenting and going back and seeing what aligns with your vision. And so the process is kind of like the make it or break it okay if you have a lot of process you have um a lot of like experimentation the stronger your outlook is probably going to be because you've tested a lot of things yeah um so yeah at the end like every designer has their own core principle that their design follows Mm -hmm. um for me when i think of a successful design i my question is like do I feel the energy from this design? Yeah. Right. So if I look at um, a poster or if I look at a video, like watch a video, mm-hmm. um, I look at a logo. It's kind of like, is the way that I feel right now, what this brand or this 
concept or the subject actually about. Okay, right? interesting. Like, for example, um, you wouldn't see like a... I'm trying to think of like a random example. You wouldn't see like a Ethan program poster with like colorful, bubbly fonts, right? Because then, then you'd be fair. like, oh, it's a kid's birthday party or yeah. something, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like, for me, it's about designing energy. A, su- a successful design is one where you can feel the energy in it. Okay. Um, yeah, that was a bit of a longer answer, but... <laughs> no, there's, <laughs> so it's, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, I have two questions that come out of that. Yeah. First one is, if design is so subjective, what are you learning in school? How do the professors yeah. actually teach design? Then? Yeah, um, that's one thing that I've actually talked to a lot of my professors about. Mm-hmm. You can't use a grading system with art, the arts. Fair. You can't. You Fair. can't have like um, uh, numbers to de- define like the success of a project. Because mm-hmm. um, one, like your audiences are different for every project um and things like that so some professors they are very much they're kind of i don't know if bias is the right word um Mm -hmm. but they have their own it's kind of a if the project follows their style of design Mm -hmm. um you'll probably kind of get a better grade so you kind of have to scope it out in some classes where it's like oh let's see what the professor's style is Mm -hmm. but i would say all of my best professors they were very um they were good at breaking that barrier mm-hmm. they were good at not letting their style of design impact our grades yep. and the way they kind of graded us was based on the process Got if it. they see that we put the effort in um and that like we've grown from our initial idea mm-hmm. um that's what they kind of graded they're okay, like yeah you explored these this realm of design you explored yeah. this realm of design like mm-hmm. you know you went back and looked at the different types of typography that could have been in here yeah you looked at um the color theory yeah and how that um affects your target audience and mm-hmm. things like that um that's what a lot of them fo- focused on and then also craft yeah um just how much how much uh effort you actually put into the cleanliness of the design right mm-hmm and by that, I don't mean like, oh, like minimum, like a nice minimal design. Yep. I mean, like, um, so if we were, if we had to uh, bind a book by hand, mm-hmm. it's like, did you just like kind of wing it, have like, like binge cuts and things yeah. like that? <laughs> or did you actually like take, take the, you, like make the effort to make straight cuts and like actually like mm-hmm. bind it properly and things like that. Fair. So craft, uh, process, those were the two biggest um, parts that we were marked on. And then participation participation was so important in design school because it's like all our classes uh you would go to a class and it's all about presenting your work and Mm -hmm. giving feedback to your peers yeah because it's like uh, like everyone's kind of like um uh, we had everyone's thinking alike Mm -hmm. right so it's like getting uh feedback from a a designer yep they're a bit more picky Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they understand the concepts so everything was about like giving feedback to your peers and critiquing the work of your peers. And that's what I think at the end made everyone a better designer, right? Interesting. Um, so yeah, participation, um, process, craft. and craft. Yeah. Interesting. I'm seeing all of it come together now. Yeah. Because I'm remembering when we first released the Ankila Punjab calendar. Yeah. And getting the cuts and the binding right yeah. was, was, I think, the biggest issue that year. <laughs> but now yeah. I'm seeing why it was an issue. Because mm-hmm. we could have settled for it to be yeah. mediocre. Yeah. But I guess working with <laughs> all these designers and ES made it yeah. um, all about the actual craft yeah. at that point in time. Interesting. Exactly. In terms yeah. of, you kind of answered it, 
I was going to ask for, for someone who's not a graphic designer but makes yeah. posters for clubs sometimes. Yeah. When I make that first one and it looks nice, I can't get out of that headspace that, okay, even if I change something, it's going to be similar. Yeah. It's going to use the same colors, probably the same format. I can't make something that's transformationally different. Yeah. Is that something that you also experience and is that something you have to address as a graphic designer and move beyond yeah um like as a designer you always hit creative roadblocks okay um like and it uh, like so i feel like design um you can't do it nine to five like Mm. i feel like creativity runs outside of the nine to five realm like for me my like biggest thinking spot is the shower (laughs) right when i'm showering is like i get that's when i get the most coolest ideas Mm -hmm. um but getting back to your question, sometimes like, yeah, you'll design something um, and the, you think like the first one, like you look at it and you're like, that's it, right? Yeah. Um, and then you're kind of hesitant to trying more things because yeah. it's like, you. I, I already like this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for in school, we were definitely forced to um, get out of that realm mm-hmm. and be like, hey, like even if you're comfortable with this, see what else you can do with it, right? Fair. So sometimes our professor was, they, they actually said that like, okay, um you have this layout going on mm-hmm. so uh, a bit a bit like technical on the design side but basically let's say we are we, there was one project where we made a magazine okay. right um and it was um an eight column magazine Got so it. you didn't see the eight columns when it was printed mm-hmm. um cuz some of the elements so some graphics or some pieces of copy and stuff were obviously going into more uh, than like one column right so it. it's like some of the copy was over three columns mm-hmm. um but it's like okay if you were really like married to a certain layout our professors would be like okay try this in a five column grid instead mm-hmm. and then you go back and you're like okay now i gotta play around with this type of space yep. um like we were forced at times to break out of that um comfort zone mm-hmm. And it was important because yeah. then th- that that's what kind of forced us to explore. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is like time crunch. So mm-hmm. based on your timeline, if you don't have a timeline, if you have a client that's like, no, I need this tomorrow, then it's kind of like, okay, then there's only so much you can do. Yeah, that's um, true. If you have the time, then I would encourage exploring because um, yeah. sometimes you figure out things, uh, you realize that, hey, like this is actually a lot better than the first thing that I designed. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that when you pointed out that correctional facility in Brampton and there yeah. was some hesitation, was there any pushback when you chose to be a graphic designer? Um, no. So like when I, when I chose graphic design, um, my family was very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously like, in a typical Punjabi household or in t- typical brown household, everyone wants like lawyer, doctor, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so like when I when I brought up graphic design, I I, I was kind of like, oh, like I'm not sure how it's going to be taken. Yeah. But everyone was very supportive. It was different. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, it's kind of like what was the expe- expectation that was put on us was as long as you can earn an, enough to comfortably survive, mm-hmm. like you don't need to be all like, you know, big and posh and stuff like, yep. <laughs> like have your basic necessities down, mm-hmm. um, live comfortably, then do whatever, do whatever, yeah. like um, whatever you enjoy, do whatever you can actually do for the rest of your life and not sure. be miserable. That's something that we, we were taught like growing up. Nice. Um, 
So thankfully, at that point, no, there was no pushback. And even with the correctional facilities and stuff, I totally understand, like, now looking back where my mom's coming from, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, if I did that PhD, I would probably have to, like, visit a lot of prisons around the world. And, mm-hmm. like, obviously, like, a mother's going to be worried about their kid doing that. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but, yeah, for this, it was, there was no pushback, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Moving into, again, the educational side that we've been discussing what type of educational background or training is necessary to become a graphic designer when you're approaching companies or companies are approaching you um, is having that bachelor of design, something that they're looking for. Yeah. Um, Now. Yes. Um, It's really important to have your bachelor of design or even a college diploma in design. Okay. Um, More than like, like a a shorter certificate. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's because the demand for designers is increasing um a lot um everyone is starting to realize the value of branding the value of design especially in like this whole like digital era that we live in Mm -hmm. um so it's really important to have a solid understanding of colors and typography typography is like core right layout um it's so important to understand all these and the four years that you're in design school that's all you're doing that Mm -hmm. And learning how to take criticism. Um, so it is it is a requirement. And I would say like majority of the jobs postings out there today. Mm-hmm. Um, and and aside from that, like if you have. So there's an organization actually called RGD okay. in Canada. Um, it's called the Register, Registered Graphic Designers of, mm-hmm. Inter- of Canada. And basically um, like not. I don't know if you can compare the two, but if you're an RGD, you're kind of like the CP of accountants, okay. right? Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. So to have that... It's like a designation. Exactly, okay. it's a designation. Um, so to, to be an RGD, uh, like bumps up your your kind of um, the value of you as a designer. Because mm-hmm. um, you you know then that you're following these rules and regula- regulations. You're an ethical designer. Mm. Um, you're making sure that like you're well-versed in the work that you're doing um and you're not doing any projects that um the like devalue design and but what i mean by that is kind of like work where you're doing work for free so that's actually something that's looked um very lowly at Mm -hmm. in design so it's kind of like if you're if you're if someone comes to you and says like well can you make me a logo for 50 dollars yeah and you're like yeah okay sure i'll do that that's like not acceptable in the design world (laughs) because the industry is trying to build its value it doesn't want to be devalued okay interesting yeah so so you have these rules and regulations that you have to um kind of follow as an rgd um and companies knowing that you're following those um are more inclined to like uh, recruit you interesting yeah in terms of having a formal education in design, mm-hmm. do you think it's important to seek out that education or someone like me taking or looking at a few YouTube videos to learn graphic design and then doing it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the disadvantages of me not going to school for design? Okay. Um, so basically, I would say, one, like the first thing I want to address is like creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not creative. I can't do this. I feel like everyone's creative. Okay. Everyone, like creativity isn't just something that people in the arts have Mm -hmm. right any unique idea is creative Mm -hmm. right um thinking outside of the box is creative um thinking of ideas that 
or concepts that don't already exist that's creativity Mm -hmm. um but in terms of like taking courses on youtube and stuff you can learn the technical like how to use like adobe creative cloud and things like that on youtube um but the actual understanding of the core concepts of the the, so their design elements right Mm -hmm. their design principles yeah um so things like hierarchy and typography like like where to use a bold font versus where to use like fully caps versus where to use um like just a a body text and things like that right Mm -hmm. um to learn about that it 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 takes more than just a few (laughs) youtube videos and to practice it is a lot different Mm -hmm. um bringing Mm -hmm. together all the design principles it's a it's a game of its own right to making sure to make sure that like this layout will work with this font um at this point size yeah right those kind of things they come with a lot of practice i'm not saying that it's impossible to like become a graphic designer by watching youtube videos Mm -hmm. i think if that's kind of like a route that you'd you'd want to take it's kind of like uh you rather do courses that are built online um like pursue those and then have a community where you can go to get criticism mm-hmm. like i know i keep saying this but criticism is so big in design yep. like that's what makes you a better designer to go and get feedback about your work because as you're designing you realize that you get really stuck in your design mm-hmm. right um you get really comfortable with your design and seeing it over and over again you're kind of like yeah this this looks fine yep. um but for a third a third person to come in and see it they'll, they'll be like oh wait no but this looks off yep. right um yeah. and that's because they're seeing it with a fresh pair of eyes um mm. so having that community um to actually go back and and criticize your design is important speaking of community in law school a, a lot of the pitch is your classmates become your network mm-hmm. because everyone's gonna eventually work in different unique places and having those connections to help you along your career is very important does that similar concept apply to design school as well yeah i would say so um up until uh your thesis well now at ocad the the thesis uh course is not mandatory anymore okay but i would say in your last year like your class sizes get a lot smaller Mm -hmm. um and that like group of people are people that you'd probably keep in touch with after you graduate at least until you find a job right once you get a job then you start creating a new network with like Mm -hmm. those people um but yeah i would say it's important like they do become a part of your network because it's kind of like um if somebody gets a job at a design firm and they know there's like more um openings they'll let let the rest of the class know and things Mm -hmm. like that um also to go back to them with your work um if Mm. you're for example if i'm building my portfolio for a job interview uh send it to one of these peers and be like hey you've done job interviews with similar companies can you critique my work yeah can you check if um this is what they're looking for mm-hmm. um, interesting yeah so it's 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 good to have that community and network with them after as well for sure does the education stop after you've taken that initial uh, bachelor's degree or diploma in design or would you pursue something else after um I'm not sure what types of programs exist, but even master's programs, are those options available and do designers pursue them after? Yeah, for sure. So basically um, at OCAD, we have um, continuing studies um, and postgrad and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it, you can choose like an avenue to go into. Like let's say you did graphic, you specialize in graphic design. Yep. Um, and then after this, you want to focus on healthcare data analysis, right? So it's like yeah. you're gonna be a data visualizer, like a data, um, like a, des- a visualized designer, yep. right? And then you would go specifically into like healthcare, mm-hmm. and um, you would work with like other research kind of groups within healthcare and help them design their infographics yep. um, Interesting. and help them um, express that data through design. Got so it. there's like, there's postgrad um, program. There's programs that take you into like specific avenues after mm. there's like um, children's studies, even things like designing children's books that yeah. takes a lot. That's like a whole psychology of its own. Mm. Um so yeah, you can do postgrad in in um like a design school or even outside of a design school. Um, for example, um, for my thesis project, I did um a lot of research about uh like my immigration, right? Yep. Immigration of our, like our parents' generation into Canada. I studied like over two thousand. Uh, Toronto Star and Globe and Mail articles in the wow. span of like <laughs> one semester yeah. um, and then basically taking that and putting it into like this output um, my professor was trying to encourage me to <laughs> do um, a master's at U of T mm-hmm. for informational design so okay. that is basically design um, for museums mm-hmm. for archives for um, you probably see like you've probably seen these like history books not like textbooks but they're like more so like photo album type mm-hmm. of books those kind of things um and then they also teach you preservation um like how archival systems and library systems work and like yep. their numbers and all that kind of stuff so it you can go into pretty much any stream after uh pursuing a bdes mm-hmm. and still be a designer so mm-hmm. once you have Got more it. knowledge about like one so sort of sect you can specialize in design in that sect Okay. Yeah. What does career development look like? Or do a lot of designers become like consultants? Is that an option, or is a designer usually designing for majority of their career? Um, by consultants, you mean like um, kind of like giving feedback, or yeah, like moving up the ranks and then leading a team of designers, yeah. for example, but not doing the designing themselves. How? Yeah, do, what yeah. does that look like? Um. So you start off as like a, a junior designer usually. Mm-hmm. um uh, your first few years as a junior designer um depending on where you're working so with in-house jobs you usually have junior designers intermediate senior um and then depending on the size of the company um there's art directors even in like an agency type of uh Mm -hmm. environment you have your juniors intermediate senior you have art directors who are kind of directing the whole project they're assigning roles Mm -hmm. like this person's um this person is in charge of this aspect of the design and things yep. like that. Um, Interesting. But additionally, there's a lot of other roles that are in the design field right now. So you can be a brand specialist mm-hmm. where you're only focusing on um, the identity of the brand. So the brand yep. colors, the, the like the logos and how they're, they're supposed to be used. Yeah. Um, the copy, the verbiage of the design. So like what, kind of vocabulary is this brand using mm-hmm. um what like very very specific to the identity of a company 
um, and then how trends are changing and how their brand has to adapt to those trends. Hmm. Um, and then you have a lot of different types of designers. You can have like UX, UI, the biggest type of designer today because hmm. everything's about like developing apps, websites and things yep. like that. Um, you have your motion designers that focus on video. You mm-hmm. have um, editorial designers focusing yep. on like magazines, books, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term like graphic designer is usually like somebody that kind of dives a bit into everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you have your roles definitely. Uh, if you're in house, you probably have roles where you're one of the different types of designers, so like UX, editorial, brand specialist, things yep. things like that. When you're more in an okay. agency environment, you probably have more of like a junior, senior, intermediate, art director, brand specialist, things like that. Yeah. Interesting. In terms of mentorship, um, I'm really grateful in the field of law, not only upper year students, but associates, partners, they're very willing to mentor. There isn't necessarily that competitive drive. They want everyone to succeed, which is really nice to have. Does a similar structure exist in design? Because at the end of the day, a mentor may not be able to teach you how to design because you have your own vision for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there that sort of structure where senior designers are willing to pass on their insights, willing to pass on their information, or is it very gatekept? Uh, no, for sure. There's um, so reaching out to professors is like one of the greatest types of mentorship mm-hmm. in design. Um, everyone's very open to mentoring in design. Uh, you can reach out to any of your previous professors and be like, hey, like, um, I need help on X, Y, Z. I need mm-hmm. your thoughts on even like, uh, so when I was um, making my resume yeah. and my portfolio, I reached out to my professor and said, can you look over this? Can you do a mock interview for me? And things mm-hmm. like that when nice. I was applying for jobs. Yeah. Um, they're all very open to sharing their um knowledge with you. Yeah. No one's, who's, no one's like secretive and stuff about it because... Okay. I guess that's like the benefit of having subjective (laughs) subjectiveness in it because it's not like, um, yeah, like everyone's going to perceive it differently. Mm -hmm. Another sort of um, program is within RGD. I actually joined that program too. It is a design mentoring program. So um, if you're a student, you can join the program and you're assigned to an RGD Mm -hmm. um, who works with you for about five weeks. Um, to build your portfolio and to build your resume and to help define what field you want to work in like what you want to kind of specialize in once Mm -hmm. you go out so if you want to focus on motion design if you want to focus on editorial ux ui things Mm -hmm. like that um so they have these programs set up and most likely like if you were to just like walk into a, an agency and sit down and ask to like see a designer and mm-hmm. ask them to see your work, they will give you feedback. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So moving on a little bit to your thesis project, which mm-hmm. you've hinted at a little bit. Yeah. What is a thesis project mm-hmm. and what does the process of putting it together look like? I know it's not mandatory anymore, but yeah. But do you encourage students to take it on? Yeah. Um, so a thesis project is basically an eight-month capstone course um at oted at most design schools even um york sheridan does it too mm-hmm. um it's a self-led project for eight months it also depends on what professor you choose so when you're in mm. um third year they actually every professor actually has a presentation about how they teach their thesis course Got it. so they'll be like these are the things we focus on 
um, these are the things that you're going to improve in, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone, every professor kind of has their own sort of, um, the way they've formed their thesis course is different. Yeah. Um, and the professor I chose, Isabella, her um, course was very self-led. It was self-driven. Mm. So you make your own syllabus. You make your own deadlines. Um, you choose your own topic. Like it was very open. Yeah. Um, and I think having our own uh, timeline, our own deliverables and stuff, it was very, you had to be disciplined. It yeah. really taught you like time management. It really taught you um, discipline. It taught you how to stay on top of your game. Mm-hmm. Um, the structure of this course was we had to present something every week. We had to okay. show our, not like a deliverable, yeah. um, but show our process every week mm-hmm. in class. Um, and then we, we shared it with the entire class, got feedback from the entire class. And then we also had one-on-ones with a professor about what we're trying, our topic, what we're trying to achieve and uh, talking to a professor was always like a reality check about what's realistic to yeah, achieve. Sure. Um, it was a, it, I highly encourage um, students to do a thesis project. Um, a lot of times we find ourselves stressed out in thesis, mm-hmm. but uh, learning about time management and learning about realistic deadlines during this process is yeah. it's so beneficial. Like sure. after that, you're like, okay, yeah, this is what this is the amount of work I can actually do in this timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your career, that's really important. Fair. So, what was the inspiration behind your personal thesis project? What was it, and what did it, what did the final product look like? Yeah. Um, so my thesis press uh project was called Indebted. Um, it was called. It was called Indebted, and the focus was. Um, immigration so mm-hmm. our parents generation coming to Canada and recording those stories yep. um, I kind of the te- kind of like the tagline of it was the untold story of six in Ontario mm-hmm. um, the inspiration behind it was when like growing up you always hear like like my mom I always heard her stories coming to Canada and yep. like when they came they didn't really know anyone like they probably knew like one or two people from like the pen beside their pen type of thing yeah. and then like all these like kind of like strangers are living with each other mm-hmm. um which actually like they built lifelong friendships through that but yeah. so you hear those stories and then i remember this one story my mom like told me a, a while ago she was like oh like i was driving back from work and this is like years after coming like before they would bust it everywhere right mm-hmm. now at the, this point they have like a car you know driving home after work there was a winter storm and her car got stuck yes. and um and she's like oh like i I was trying to get help yep. and it was like um like a like a one-way road type of thing so mm-hmm. there's nothing around she's like <laughs> there were like farms on both sides yeah. i don't know where she was <laughs> but like um uh, she's like yeah and then there was a cop that drove by and she tried to get his attention and like stop him mm-hmm. and the cop stopped and she's like can i borrow a phone to call like my family because yep. my like my car broke down and he was like sorry no you can't and he drove off and i was like what and it's probably like racism right at that point wow and she's like i just walked and walked for like like 20 30 minutes until i found like a motel and she's like then i used their phone to call Mm -hmm. um but like hearing stories like that i was like thinking i was like if i was in that car and like i had no phone and like my car was broken i wouldn't know what to do (laughs) right um just hearing stories like that right like of survival of how when they came here they had to start from scratch um and like even like my dad, you guys, Jackie, you guys, all of our parents have this uh, a very similar story about yeah. when they migrated and 
um, hmm. how they actually built their lives here, right? Working really yeah. hard, um, dealing with racism, mm-hmm. dealing with like um, adapting to a new lifestyle. Yep. It was also different, right? De- dealing with having like different food, different yeah. weather, all of that. Um, and then so capturing all that like we we hear those stories firsthand from our parents yep. um coming generations won't be able to mm-hmm. right for us that's true our parents generation that's our last direct tie to punjab mm-hmm. right we're born and raised here yep. and future generations are not going to have that tie to punjab so like mm-hmm. uh, for me it was very important to capture the lifestyle change and yep. how they adapted because if we don't capture that now, I feel like coming generations, we're not going to be grateful for how we establish ourselves here. Um, mm-hmm. So preserving that history that we're hearing firsthand today was really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's already like a lot of projects out there that are focusing on the six pioneers and the overall establishment of our community yep. um, in North America. But I specifically wanted to focus on our parents' generation and preserving mm-hmm. those firsthand stories so that future generations can um can kind of hold on to them and learn about how mm-hmm. it wasn't easy right and we're really lucky yeah. today um so how the process of this thesis of indebted was uh, my first question was like okay i want to preserve these stories um focusing on the years of like the 60s 1960s to like okay. 1990s around that era got it um so uh, I was like, I didn't know where to start. So I talked to my professor. I was like, I don't know where to start. Like, where do I get information? Like, obviously, I can interview my family, mm-hmm. um, my friends, parents, and things like that. But where else do I start? And then together, we were bo- brainstorming. And then we turned towards media. Because, um, okay. like, that's, a, that's like a a piece of system where, like, things are archived mm-hmm. um, in yeah. a very interesting way. Um, so then I we i've i narrowed it down to the globe and mail and toronto star hmm. um and i searched the word sick in their database right nice. um filtering like from 1960 to 1999 yep and i was astonished at the results i thought i was gonna get like two three hundred articles call it a day yeah there were thousands of articles wow. that mentioned the word sick and mm-hmm. I, I then i was overwhelmed i was like how am i how am i gonna get through like eight thousand articles yeah. in like a month right yeah. <laughs> um and that was only for like i think the globe and mill and then you had more for like trying star yeah and so i went back to my professor i was like where like where do like what do i do now right mm-hmm. um and and then we kind of started narrowing it down even more Mm -hmm. i was like there's way too much data um like how do i narrow it down to um something that's digestible for the viewers for the um like the end target audience Mm -hmm. um and then at that point we kind of had to narrow it down based on what's most important for me uh well not for me but for what i want to preserve right Mm -hmm. so we broke it down into like different sections we had um, community-based events, so mm-hmm. like Nugget Kirtans, yep. Kabaddi tournaments, things yep. like that, right? Um, we had Gurdwari, so the establishment of all the main Gurdwari in the GTA in mm-hmm. Ontario. Um, immigration stories, so um, not just like people flying in it, into Ontario, but like the ships that docked Nova Scotia and things like that. Yep. Um, 
Uh, and then we had 1984 mm-hmm. was a big one. Um, what was happening in Ontario during the events of 1984 during the Kaldugara. Yep. Um, so yeah, so we kind of broke it down into those and then i started organizing the articles into um into those like categories, categories yeah. yeah and then so i read over 2000 articles um and then i ended up making a book that was focusing on 150 of those articles okay um and this is this book was basically it wasn't like a regular book it followed the format of a timeline okay so like along the right margin so if you were to flip through the book like as if it was a flip flip yep. book you would see the dates kind of chronologically oh, nice. like coming downwards yep. um and then each page like each spread was color coded in a specific color so i had okay. like purple for um oh i also had interviews in this whole thing i interviewed mm-hmm. did those first 10 interviews and i transcribed tra- uh, transcribed them and i put them into these into the book um so purple was for all the trend uh uh, for all the interviews Mm -hmm. and then red was for all of the 84 related events that happened in toronto like there Mm -hmm. were protests that happened and things like that yep uh yellow was for all of the immigration stories Mm -hmm. so things like the nova scotia ships and things like that um blue was for all of the establishments so gordoare um the first anandgarish that took place Mm -hmm. in ontario um so events like that um and then what i did was it would i didn't summarize so i summarized each article in a very short paragraph just like a who what where when why how Mm -hmm. (laughs) right um but what i did was i had images that were photos that were in the newspaper um i kind of color coded them as well Mm -hmm. added them to those spreads and then in the captions you would see like um exhibit a yep right um and then in in addition to this book i had a mini archive of all of these newspapers so it was organized into folders that corresponded to the category color so if you're looking at like um a red spread right Mm -hmm. i'll I'll kind of show you a photo here so if you're looking at this red spread of like 1984 um and you see this article like Mm -hmm. six protests across canada underneath it said like exhibit a got it um so you go to the red folders you find exhibit a and you can Mm. pull out that newspaper and then read the full story so i had this like i had this editorial book going on but at the same time it was like you actually go through those newspapers as if they were an archive of its own um and then the last point that it kind of touched on within this book was um i realized that a lot of the people that are going to be reading this book that are going to be going through it um at that point we were supposed to present it at like a grad show grad x um they have no knowledge of sikhi Mm -hmm. right they're always Mm -hmm. like I'm going from Toronto. They have no idea of Sikhi, right? Yeah. Um, so what I did is within these um, summaries, anywhere where um, I talked about a concept that was Sikhi related, I added small icons. So here we're talking about 1984. I yeah. added a small little red tank within the text. Um, mm. And that basically indicates that somewhere in this, um, in this book, there's like a, about Sikhi tab. So this nice. uh, would have like a small tab coming out of the yep. book at the top. Um, and you can find that tag above the margins. And once you find that small little tank tab, uh, that 
it's like a half of half a page within the book that just t- talks about um what happened yeah. so the like giving can, everyone the context exactly behind right what you're yeah. reporting on yeah Interesting. so then there was one where i was talking about the non-person resolution mm-hmm. um so it's like they wouldn't know what that is so you go and find like the identifying like the identical icon yep and then you read the context behind it nice um yeah so it, that was one of the deliverables um just summarizing those 150 articles mm-hmm. um and then the second deliverable was having the documentary mm-hmm. so i ended up going and interviewing um a lot of different people um some of them were family some of them were parents of like friends family friends mm-hmm. um some of them were strangers <laughs> yeah. so uh one of the people i really wanted to inter- so i went to pape gordora yep. the first gordora in ontario and um i just went up to the ground thing and did been like hey if you know anyone that has been here since like early six like early 60s yep. uh can you put us in touch and he did mm-hmm. um he put us in touch with his babaji their name was lachman singh and they were open to uh, us interviewing them mm-hmm. and they gave so many like first-hand stories about how the gordora opened yep. um the vibe of the gordora when mm-hmm. it opened and things like that um so yeah it's from strangers to like <laughs> family yeah. um and then also tackling different parts of history so with them it was like establishment early on like in the 60s mm-hmm. um same with yeah. uh ishnan karantiji like mm-hmm. they were here in the 60s um uh, professor with his Singh's daughter and then and then there was um first generation six back in the day so in the yep. 80s like kids that went to school in the 80s mm-hmm. um and then there was 1984 uh mm-hmm. people that were high, like very affected by it um and then there was i'm like blanking out it's been so long <laughs> but yeah so there were like a lot of different types of kind of categories yeah. i try to hit with that as well mm-hmm. um one was sick woman and their role because back in punjab like it was kind of like the bbn did all the housework mm-hmm. right but when they immigrated now you had to you had a full-time job and you had to do like all the household mm-hmm. chores right so how yeah. they had to adapt to that um that was another topic so nice. compiling all of that along with like articles from the archives i was able to produce that documentary um it's not public yet hopefully in the future we'll make it public (laughs) um yeah but it's not public yet so that was another thing i got to present um and then the last part was the grad x show Mm -hmm. so the way you kind of set up your booth um for me like as i said earlier designs all about like designing energy right it's all Mm -hmm. about making the energy um and the atmosphere Yep. So my booth, I kind of had this like vision for it, um, where it was kind of gonna look like a archival like room. Mm-hmm. So you have like the mm-hmm. book on a desk, and then you have all these like, uh, you know, those like archived up yep. <laughs> like stacked full of like newspapers, and you find like the corresponding yep. um articles. That was one nice. section of it, and then the other section was the documentary part mm-hmm. where um, you, so my professor actually, this is like one of the, a prime example of how talking to your professor and talking to your peers helps with um, inspiration. My professor, I was talking to her and she's like, she went to a museum, uh, a gallery in okay. Boston, and they had a exib- exhibit about um, juvenile kids in prison, right? Okay. Ironically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
she's like one of the things they had conversations um recorded between children and their parents oh, wow. right okay and the only way you were able to hear those conversations if you put your hand against like glass which like makes you sense. would in a prison exactly when, wow so it's like you're actually sitting there in their like shoes yep. doing what they would do wow. so when she was talking about that i was like oh like in order to see this documentary at this booth um i was kind of gonna make like a i was gonna have like punjabi jutiya nice. <laughs> right really uh like i wanted to like yeah hit that experience part yeah. so uh, i was gonna be like step uh, there was gonna be like a mat that said step into their shoes to listen to their stories nice so you kind of have to like step nice. into them to and then the documentary would play that's cool um that's like cool. it would be the trailer at the show um but yeah so uh, uh, the actual design um exhibit like setup that we weren't able to do because of covid was yeah. also going to reflect the whole like archival history preservation like idea um but yeah we weren't able to do that because of covid but hopefully in the future we can <laughs> do you ever see yourself putting your thesis project up for presentation at like a gallery or a museum or something of that sort yeah that's like yeah. a dream <laughs> yeah um i think it needs uh, more work yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I feel like we can cover a lot more details. Mm-hmm. Um, go back and so the documentary that I made. Um, each of every interview that I ended up doing for that documentary lasted over an hour. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of content that I wasn't able to put into this first documentary that mm-hmm. I eventually want to compile and make like a series. Okay. And I'm sure like, um, there are so many stories that we didn't really capture. Mm-hmm. Um. So I would want to kind of expand it, make it into a docu-series. But yeah, that, that would be ideal. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I'm just realizing now that even part of design, a lot of it is collecting mm-hmm. and prioritizing. Yeah. The reason why I bring that up is the Battle of Amritsar documentary has been playing for, I'd say, about a year now. Yeah. We recently had a screening on campus. And during the Q&A afterwards, they revealed that they had hundreds possibly thousands of hours of footage that now had to be condensed into a two and a half hour documentary. Mm -hmm. And you now have to decide what type of message you want to put across. Exactly. But also how are you going to make this like treasure, this kajana of information available to the public? Yeah. Because it's important. These are firsthand experiences. Wow. Yeah. Just like touching on that. um, As a designer, when you're working with other people's stories, other, other people's narratives, Mm-hmm. you have to be so careful about how you edit edit that or present that true um you have to really make sure that you're not changing the narrative mm-hmm. and you're not putting your own bias mm-hmm. into it yep um so even with this documentary um obviously we had to sign the consent forms and all that yep but it was really important for me to go back and be like hey can you watch it before mm-hmm. um so you so it doesn't look like i'm changing any of yep. the narrative um it's really sensitive information so yep you don't want to you don't want to change it right fair that was part one of today's episode if you enjoy what you're hearing you can continue listening into part two which will be starting right after this you've been listening to the experience the key podcast 